This episode of TC Spotlight is brought to you by our community partners, Old North State Coffee Roasters, The Lighthouse Store, Fortis Wealth Management, The ECC Small Business Center, Media Mix Solutions, Ad Region Marketing, Simmons & Harris, Metro Maintenance, and Factory 633 Wedding and Events. Welcome back to another episode of the TC Spotlight. My name is Benton Moss. I'm one of the co-hosts and co-founders of TC Media, and I'm joined by my co-host and co-founder, Turner Vatipka, and another special guest today. We are doing part two of Nash uh, County History with Dr. William Denton. Last time we recorded uh, up until and through the Revolutionary War, uh, so we started in prehistoric times and worked our way through, <laughs> through the Revolutionary War. From the creation and, uh, to now. That's right. <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> and so and today County, we're going to... What you didn't know was Nash County was actually the first place created. It actually was the Garden of Eden. Yeah. In case anybody was, was wondering. <laughs> the Twin Counties are the Garden of Eden. So today we're I gonna, mean, I can't put my stamp of approval on that as a historian, but <sighs> as a Nash County native, it's probably true. Yeah, I, of course. So people can't actually see the conversation right now because this is all voice, but... He just winked when he said that. <laughs> so, Dr. Denton is a historian in... Uh, so, pretty much my area of expertise is anything from ancient history up into classical history and early American history, early European history, and basically a colonial American history. So, so we're going to... Obviously, we're going to highlight Turner and I's ignorance of history today, but... Uh, I am also a historian, though. Give us... For those who didn't see listen to the part one uh, of this series, give sure. us maybe a couple bullet points of the Revolutionary War, some of the things that Nash County, uh, the, the roles that it played, and then... We'll keep going from there. Sure. So, um, there, there wasn't a ton that actually happened in North Carolina, per se, with, re with the Revolutionary War. Um, we were the first state to officially give its delegates to the Continental Congress permission to vote in favor of a Declaration of Independence. But Halifax, that was where the uh, the... I want to say illegal general assembly because the governor at the time had said, no, you're not going to go to the, the you know, you're not going to send delegates. So they convened their own delegates and then they unanimously gave them permission to go to the Continental Congress and vote in favor of uh, a declaration of independence to, to, to remove themselves from the, the British crown. But we were the first state to do that. So North Carolina was the first rebellious state in that sense to say, Hey, it's, we don't want to just try to look for compromise. We actually want to, Get break. out from under, yeah, break away yeah. from from Great Britain. Um, and some of that history, if you look at the early history of North Carolina, that makes sense because we had some of the first rebellions, open rebellions against the British government here in North Carolina. So fast forward, um, we actually sent some of the biggest number of troops to Washington to help fight in the revolution. And one of the more famous uh, generals in um, with in Seeing overseeing those troops was uh, Francis Nash. It, it, Hence and, the namesake. Exactly. Nash County and Nashville, North Carolina are both named after him as well as Nashville, Tennessee. But of course, the one in North Carolina is the first. The OG. Yeah, that's right. Even the one in Tennessee when it was finally named Nashville, because I believe it was Nash Fort to begin with. Um, Tennessee was still part of North Carolina at the time. So. Oh, so is that why they, they named that Nashville? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're both yeah. named after, because you have to remember during that time, there was no Tennessee. Is he from Nash County? Though? No, he's from Hillsborough. Hillsborough. He was okay. originally from gotcha. Hillsborough area. Gotcha. Um, it's just that at the time of his death in Germantown, when he was fighting under the command of General Washington, um, he was killed by, he took a cannonball to the hip 
Um, Snap. Wasn't much left of him. And he's literally, he lingered on for, I believe, a couple of days, maybe three. So the dude was tough. Yeah. And um, when they had his funeral after the battle, uh, some of the biggest names in, um, in the revolution were there for his, for his funeral. Washington was there, all the other generals. Um, I want to say Thomas Paine himself, the writer, wow. was there. Yeah, because, you know, he was a big force in getting the revolution yeah, started. Yeah, yeah, He observed he, a lot of what was happening. Did so. he write a eulogy for him or anything He, like he that? essentially, he sort of did. And he, he, he was one of the ones that kind of witnessed his last words. And he said that he was unrecognizable when they took him off the battlefield after taking the cannonball. And um, I don't remember the exact words, but he basically said, uh, Nash said that he was extremely proud to give his life for the the cause of patriotism that's for, awesome you know. thomas paine wrote uh was it common common sense, sense. yeah that's right. thomas and paine. it was a that's big right. influence on yeah. on the founding fathers yeah so to have thomas there to see uh francis nash in his last battle whatnot it just goes to show how tough these guys are and how they really believed in the cause because yeah. nash was originally a um a loyalist he, yeah he, was, okay. he believed in the crown he, he he agreed that there were problems and that great britain needed to make some changes but he didn't believe that we should break away as as a country at first as our own country um he was part of the uh put down the regulator movement i don't know if you've ever heard of that it was one of the first rebellions in the country it was right here in central north carolina outside of hillsborough governor tryon at the time um secretly just keep trying yeah exactly secretly uh did not like the the um, corrupt officials but he knew that if he struck against them that they could cause trouble for him and you know he was trying to keep a balance because he was the the official representative of the crown as governor but he also had to keep the people happy who were starting to get really upset about how the crown was handling uh, managing the colonies so eventually he sent nash as a general to put down the regulated movement they had taken arms they had taken over their city they had drug out the uh, the corrupt officials from the courthouse, drug them out to the judge, and demanded that he hold a trial. And the judge was smart. He's like, I'll be right back. And he ran. He left because he knew that it was going to get violent. So the, the the regulators, and they call themselves the regulators because they, they felt it was their job to regulate the government because no one else was going to do it. So right. this, this is literally like a snapshot of the beginning trials between top-down versus self-governance yeah it's yep. such a cool and that is it's, it's, impo- it's important you mention the self-governance and then the idea of limited government because that becomes an issue for north carolina when we get to the rip van winkle era which we're getting ready to talk about we'll get there we'll flash forward here in a second um so the regulators roughed up these guys and you know they took up arms against the government so north carolina is one of the first states where the people took up arms against their government not just to say hey we're warning you but like if you don't get your mess together, we will shoot you. Right. And that was really the core of the revolution, right? That's the whole you point know, of, the, of the Second Amendment, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, it, it had an impact on why the founding fathers right. put it in there right. in the Constitution. But and So, therefore, what we're saying is that the United States can thank North Carolina for the Second Amendment. Uh, but, to a certain degree, yeah. Uh, 100%. They, North <laughs> North Carolina was one of the first uh, colonies to put that idea into actual action. Right. Because there was a lot of talk, a lot of papers, a lot of letters. That's one of the great things about this era era in history is we have all these writings that help us as historians understand what was going through the minds of everybody, not just the the prominent founding fathers, but just everyday people trying yeah, to live their lives. Ordinary citizens, right. Yeah. So they take up arms. The governor's like, no, you've crossed the line. He went. He tried to negotiate. He said, if you put down your arms... Um, I'll consider everything you're saying, you know, basically saying you're not going to be executed. You're going to probably go to prison, but we're going to mm-hmm. didn't listen. Shots were fired. There were casualties, I believe, on both sides, uh, but it was a victory for for the governor. Um, and I, it, based on what we read about Nash's history, that was at the point where he started to kind of change his mind about how things were being handled. 
um, with with the British crown on how it was managing the colonies. So then flash forward, revolution, he ends up in Germantown. That's where he dies. And at about the same time, because I believe Nash County was founded in 1777 by the General Assembly. The General Assembly was already looking for a spot for a new uh, county. And they were, they were looking at, you know, this this was all Edgecombe County, right, at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the issue was that the people who lived in what is now Nash uh, were getting tired of having to go to Tarboro to do all their government business, right? You know, carriage or horseback, that's a long ride. So, like, hey, we need our own county and need our own seat of county government. And, and even then, like, the courthouses or kind of like the county seat was yeah. where you did all of your legal and kind of government yeah, well, business. Yeah, well, because Nashville originally, they, that's when they when they picked the site for the county um, seat. It, was, it wasn't called Nashville yet. It was Nash, I believe it was Nash Courthouse. That was the name of the town, the area, because that's where the courthouse was. And then once they, um, once it was, you know, the county was named Nash, it was founded, and they, they figured out where they were going to put the county seat. They decided to honor Francis Nash as a war hero because this happens right around the same time. And so the county was named Nash. The county seat would eventually become Nashville. And then Tennessee did the same thing because back then Tennessee was part of North Carolina. So all those troops and whatnot came from the so same So they just plagiarized. State. Right. Yeah. Well, and because somebody tried to say it's like, losers. You know, there's, there's some dispute about the dates, right? And my argument always is, is even if somehow they did name that town Nashville first, it was still a North Carolina town. Right. So exactly. we still get it, right? I mean, they're their own state now, but it, it, we're worried about what happened then, right? So, right. When did when did Tennessee and North Carolina? Uh, when did Tennessee decide to become a quitter and leave us? <laughs> well, when did Tennessee secede from North Carolina? Be, be a quitter. That's fine. Well, there's a whole story about that too. Uh, have you guys ever heard? See, this is why I bring notes because I will keep going on and on and on. <laughs> we'll do this real quick, and then we'll jump to the main story for today. Uh, the state of Franklin. Have you ever heard about right, that? Yeah. No. Okay, because it only yeah it only existed for a little while. I don't remember the exact dates, but some of the northwestern counties of North Carolina, right there now where Boone is and whatnot. Sure. And some of the the what would be the northeast counties of now Tennessee, uh, all of that was North Carolina. They uh, seceded and became their own state, and they petitioned Congress to recognize them, and they got close, but Congress didn't want to get in the middle of it. They even asked Benjamin Franklin to sponsor them. Hence the reason why they named it Franklin. Hence the reason why. And he stayed out of it wisely because it was contentious. And it was, again, something similar about they weren't, they didn't feel well represented in the General Assembly because they were in the frontier of the state, right? So, long story short, they started their own state. And then um, we eventually sent government troops in there, convinced them to rejoin North Carolina. And then shortly thereafter, uh, North Carolina decided to give all of that land from their west, that is now Tennessee, to the federal government, and then they founded the state of Tennessee. Because gotcha. I, I guess they were tired of managing that much of a frontier area. When was yeah. when was Tennessee founded? Oh, I don't remember those dates. Because like, I'm a North Carolina cause, guy. Because west of Tennessee was part of like the the expansion state. Well, if you look at the original the, charter for the Carolinas, I'll look it up um, for both North and South Carolina. Because you know, at one point it was one colony, right? And then right. they split it in two to, to easier manage. Uh, North Carolina extended from where it is today all the way theoretically to California from coast to coast. To, yeah. to, we didn't know what was really out there. But if you look at an old map, it's literally just, just parallel, parallel lines exactly running all the way. So all of that was right. Carolina. So you could argue that, you know, everybody has a little bit of Carolina involved in, in their in their culture That's to right. a certain extent. Well, I forty goes to goes to it goes all the way to California. Goes, yeah. goes to Rocky Mount. <laughs> it goes from here to California, and that's essentially what it follows. It yeah, followed yeah. that corridor all the way out there. Yeah, right. so it's a little interesting so fact. But here it ahead. says that it was admitted to the Union on June first, seventeen ninety six. Okay, yeah, I thought it was more like Tennessee. 19- yeah, 
That's what it says. Oh, well, they're definitely second. Yeah. That definitely sounds right because it was the, I believe it was the late 80s, early 90s of the 1700s of when yeah, the state of Franklin happened. <laughs> the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. You can see that's a historian. When you start, you start talking about decades, you have to be very specific. Well, which yeah. century are you in? So I prefer to think that they were admitted in the 1980 and it was not, it kind of just it wasn't that, that long way. ago. Tennessee is pretty young. I got to be careful. My wife's from Tennessee, so. Mm. <laughs> my, she, my wife has in-laws from Tennessee. She's from yeah. the good part. She's from the Northeast right there at the, the Virginia, North Carolina line outside like Kentucky, of Bristol. North Kentucky. It's, it's, I told her that. Yeah, I said, yeah. it's really North it's Carolina still when you really think about it. So, <laughs> so the Revolutionary War wraps up. Yep. You know, what happens next with, with the whole union, if you will, if it's even, if you can even call it that. Yeah. And then and people think, because of the way we have to kind of condense history when we teach it, that, you know, we won the war. And uh, suddenly we're this United States, States of, America, of America, 13 right. United States, right. right? And everything's just running smoothly. That's not what happened at all. Um, people think, okay, well, then we have the Constitution. Nope. Articles of, Confedera- uh, of uh, Confederation hit first. And they didn't work too well because you had 13 essentially sovereign nations, nations working work as a confederacy, together. right? Yeah. Trying to work together. But the problem is if you left North Carolina <laughs> and went to South Carolina, your currency wouldn't be accepted in some places because we all printed our own money. Uh, we managed travel between state lines differently. It was hard for commerce to work across state lines. That's why eventually we went and we came up with a constitution and there were some compromises given. You know, we came up with a federal system where states had certain sovereignty and then we had a federal system that oversaw the interaction between those states. Um, and then we went from there and it was a, about that time when things started to smooth out and we kind of got an idea of how we were going to run. We had to wait for the Supreme Court to make some decisions and kind of, mm-hmm. there had to be, there had to be a referee to kind of set the goalposts and say, here's some of the early rules we're going to, you know, here's how we're going to ter- interpret these, these rules, these amendments and everything the constitution spells out and then go from there. Um, well, so the articles of confederation, the problem with them was that they gave too much power to um, the states. Right. Again, essentially, they made the the states sovereign nations, and so they were instituted in 1777. Okay. So before the war, hey, that's when Nash, that's actually when Nash County was founded. Right. Was exactly. 17- hey, listen, I'm proud of you. Well, I looked it up. You looked it up. Okay. <laughs> I just went, I was trying to see how much younger Tennessee so, was. They were 1796, so they're like 19 years younger. So yeah. So they were adopted in 1777 while we're literally kicking off the war. The war technically started in 1775, but we we teach that 76 really was when it started for independence right because when it first started it wasn't necessarily for us to be independent yeah, we wanted we wanted parliament to listen to us yeah then 76 comes along and we all decide you know what no we're done we're, we want to cede from 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 the crown so the continental congress adopted the articles of confederation in 1777 as their governing document going forward and it made sense at the time because we weren't an independent nation yet mm-hmm. we said we were but our our government at the time the crown said you weren't so we had to fight it out right so it really was it worked for the time because we had to allow the colonies to kind of fight the war as they together, needed to yeah, right yeah, together but as they needed to right. based on the troops they had right, the resources right. they had mm-hmm. but then when we move forward and realize we don't have a common enemy to fight and we need to make it so that we really are a united nation we needed a constitution. We had to wait for each uh, uh, two-thirds majority of the 13 colonies to ratify the constitution. Right. And that was a sl- relatively slow process because, you know, you have to remember this is an experiment going on right. that the rest of the world is watching because shortly after our revolution, France decides it's time to get and rid of their monarchy. Very different 
turn. Very <laughs> different turn than what you would see happen here in the U.S. Uh, you know, because as Jefferson had an impact on writing um, their Declaration of Independence um, in France, and um, the uh, Marquis de Lafayette, who I consider probably one of the greatest heroes of the Revolutionary War. Uh, that's why there are so many Fayettevilles and things named after him oh, throughout yeah. the U.S. Um, he he had a big impact on the revolution, but it it got out of his hands and got out of control. And we all know how you know anyone who's Ro- a student of history knows. Yeah, Robespierre and guillotine. And just, exactly. It just it went far above and beyond what it should have in order to to, do you to think, get rid of monarchy. Do you think that Thomas Jefferson messed him up on purpose in some way? No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, he was like, you know, let's actually just make America better. Like, well, let's just, like we're going to go write some stuff in France and da, da, da. Well, Jefferson was a Francophile. He loved France and French culture. That's what he remember. wanted you to think. Yeah. <laughs> he, so, he, he spent time over there as our ambassador to France. And he's the one, him and Jefferson, uh, him and uh, Franklin were the ones that really got France to come in at the 11th hour and help us out. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, died in the wool. Conservative Americans don't like to hear this, but without France, we wouldn't have won. We we would have lost. It would have been yeah. Yorktown no, would not have happened. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I'm just saying. But do you think like he did a smooth talk to him? I'm just I'm just speculating on history. You know. No, I really <laughs> think that Jefferson thought that the people of France were more like Lafayette, and they weren't. Mm. They were. You know, France has a history of of hardcore rebellion. Oh yeah. Whereas you know. And it's different because they're right there with the monarch. We were separated by an entire ocean. Right. So it wasn't nearly as personal as it was for the people in France. For us, it was we're fighting this unseen power that is governing us from, you know, all the way over the Atlantic Ocean, doesn't care about us, won't let us have proper representation. And it takes them a while to get here to enforce anything yeah. versus... think about it, too, I mean, once we defeat them, they get off our land, they go back. That's right. There, it's like, if you defeat them, they're still there. Right. And so, the only way to get them off of your land is to send them somewhere else or do what they did off yeah. of their head. Well, and then that's why the Civil War was so bloody, too. Jumping ahead a little bit, too. Think about it. We're fighting each other in the same country, in the same land. So, what do you do afterwards? Yeah. You know, when you Whoever wins gets to determine how bloody the, the, the wrap-up of that is going to be. Yeah. How harsh are you going to be on the losers? And, you know, that's why I still think to this day, if I remember correctly, it's the greatest loss of American life in any war, but it's because we were fighting each other. Mm-hmm. No matter how you sliced it, a lot of Americans were going to die. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so we, we, we got rid of the Articles of Confederation. We ratified the Constitution and things start to settle into a relatively peaceful time. The problem is you have all these, all of the 13 colonies, most of them have these industries that they can continue to grow and expand on their own. Problem with, say, the Carolinas, especially North Carolina is, and we mentioned this in the first episode, when a a lot of the skilled trades, you couldn't build or manufacture things in the colony. So, say you wanted a kitchen table. You go to the carpenter or whatever who makes a kitchen table. If he has one in stock that you like, you buy it on that spot and take it home. But most often, you wanted something custom made for your house. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have it. He couldn't put it together. He had to take the raw materials by British law put them on a ship, send them over to Great Britain where their artisans would put it together to your specifications, ship it back. Then that carpenter, say in, you know, Wilmington or whatever, could sell it to you. And the British, it was brilliant because they did that to ensure that they took care of the labor market back home. Mm -hmm. And they would argue that it also took care of the labor market here because somebody still had to cut down the trees. Someone still had to run a shop, Mm -hmm. you know. But the problem was is when we get to the early 1800s and North Carolina, it's time for the state to stand on its own two feet. There's really no industry. Seems like we're back there today with 
technology, but that's another it, topic. It's, well, it's very simple. <laughs> well, it, no, like nearshoring and onshore. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> well, think about it. It's, it's it's an issue we're starting to face now with offshore manufacturing, totally. you know, overseas manufacturing, and now we're to a point where we're trying to get it back, and people don't realize how much had left. It's, Same, it's like there's skills there, and right, the, capital. The, and- the reasons of why it happened may be different, but it's almost the, it's the same scenario of you know we have things here we want to build and make, but we don't have the infra- infrastructure to do it. We got rid of it. So starting in, let me check my dates, 1815. Yes, 1815 to 1835 was known as the Rip Van Winkle era of North Carolina. And for anyone who doesn't know the, the story, Rip Van Winkle wandered off to the woods, fell asleep for 20 years. And I believe it was while the revolution was happening. So this is all written around the same time that this is actually happening. He wakes up to a whole new world, right? He's a loyalist. He's like, you know, trying to figure out what's happened to the, the colonies and whatnot. And it's a completely different world. Well, 1815 hits and North Carolina, people start to realize that it's falling behind the rest of the colonies. Mm-hmm. Industry is starting to, to, to be built. Um, the other states are progressing in manufacturing, even agriculture. You know, agriculture has been a big thing here in North Carolina since the beginning, but it can't be everything. So we were relying heavily on the other colonies for a lot of our supplies and things, you know, you know, durable goods and whatnot. And that put us in a bad economic position, you know, because the other mm-hmm. colonies were happy to sell us stuff, but we weren't doing anything to generate revenue for the state. And the other part of this, and it goes back to the limited government thing I, I mentioned earlier is because of what happened in, in, you know, leading up to the revolution with um, the abuses from Great Britain on the colonies, the general assembly in, in, North Carolina at this time was a very, very limited government. They were did not want to spend hardly any money on any kind of infrastructure improvement. No, no, you know, they didn't want to take care of roads. They didn't want to, you know, as railroads became a big thing, they didn't want to invest in building railroads. And as we know here in Rocky Mount, that would end up becoming a major thing for us, you know, economically speaking. So the General Assembly, they just didn't want to spend money. But the state started to fall behind to the point where people start to make fun of it and say, yeah, you know, North Carolina's Rip Van Winkle. It's falling asleep and now it's falling behind. The funny thing is, is Rip Van Winkle fell asleep for 20 years. So did North Carolina. It was 1815 to 1835. It was 1835 is when the era ended because the General Assembly finally realized there were, there were people who were, I don't want to say pro-big government, but they were fiscally conservative and realized we need to spend wisely but we need to spend on infrastructure they won some seats in the general assembly uh, most of them for from the eastern part of the state you know because pretty much where everything was happening but the reason we were able to change things is because there were some people in the western part of the state that finally decided because there's some animosity between the west and the east sure um they finally decided to join you know, with the Eastern uh, North Carolina politicians in gaining these seats to basically push the government to start building roads, helping cities expand, help with urbanization while also supporting agricultural developments and whatnot. And then the other big thing was railroads. Cause then uh, once we built the, uh, what was the name of it? The railroad that comes straight through here. Uh, the railroad, CSX. well, it's what it is now, but there was an official <laughs> name for it. Uh, goes from Wilmington up north. It was the longest railroad at the time in the entire world. Single longest stretch of railroad Snap. in the world. So, it basically connected Wilmington to all of the other northern states. And that really is what pushed North Carolina to kind of catch up with everyone else. And, and people don't think about, unless you're in logistics or you're familiar with uh, 
you know, infrastructure. I mean, people don't think about railroads as being an integral right. part of, I mean, it is for logistics today, but like for travel, sure. for, for long distance travel, for hauling goods, for a ton of stuff. I mean, that was it back then besides yeah. dirt roads, horse and buggy. Right. I mean. Well, and even now today with most of your um, moving, most of your heavy goods and resources, it still trains. Um, my dad's a diesel engineer. He's been working for Cummins. Whew, I think he's in his 40th year now. He's been there since the plant was built. And, you know, he'll tell you that people don't realize what, you know, freight wise, how much stuff is carried on trains every single day. Right. Yeah, it's the cheapest way to, to exactly. do it besides like a big uh, like tanker on water. Right. Just because that's that'll beat anything. Yeah. But, but once it gets so, here. It's faster. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and the issue is, you know, obviously at some point you have to have tr- somewhere where trucks come and pick it up and take it to their final destination or warehouse, whatever. <laughs> but to get it from some of the, from one point to the next um, across the country, it's still, it's still trains. That's right. why CSX is still a, a, a big thing here. Um, right. I mean, when they announced their expansion and everything here, that's why it was such a big deal when everyone was like, oh, that's great. Because people essentially, for a lot of the railroad towns, a lot of people felt like that the railroad companies had kind of forgotten those towns. You know, things had changed. Mm-hmm. They may not have been doing as much business as they did. But, you know, like you said, at one point, train was the only way to travel long distances across the country. Unless right. you wanted to in, in, a, in a reasonably in a reason, manner. In a, yeah, exactly. In a reasonable amount of time and not be completely miserable while you're doing it. And I'll say this, you know, I have no problem flying. I've flown all over the country and, you know, around the world. But take I took a train one time from Union Station in D.C. here to Rocky Mount. And it was about this same as if I would have driven but I didn't I didn't have to drive I didn't have to worry about traffic I was yeah, comfortable I, I, right. it was the most comfortable ride I, I, I will not do it every time but I yeah. would recommend someone do it at least once agreed take the Amtrak and go exactly. all the way to Grand Central in New York City yep and you can work it's a 12 hour ride you That's can right. work you can hang out read and you don't have to drive. You, don't you can, get a, you can get a sleeper cabin if it's going to be that long. You right. know what? And it's really, it's actually way more comfortable than flying on a plane. Don't have a problem with flying, like I said, but I, f- I feel like everybody should take it at least once to realize that, you know, rail is still important when it comes to that. And it was a lot cheaper too. <laughs> so this is true. That was a big, big reason why true. I did it too. But, um, but yeah, so, you, so you have the state of North Carolina finally realizing, you know, we can spend on infrastructure and still be limited government. You know, and that and that's not really an issue of left or right politics, Republican versus Democrat, especially in that time. It was they're just fresh off the revolution and they had a government that refused to listen to them, give them fair representation, but wanted to. And a lot of it was due to taxes that yes. no one voted on. Exactly. So then, ta- so then spending meant you had to raise taxes. That's right. And so obviously very sensitive. Yeah, right. And so, it, yeah, so back then, everything, anything they wanted to spend their money on when it came to, you know, when they were colonial governments subject to the crown it wasn't as simple as we're going to do we're going to raise x amount of money and spend it on y it was everything was governed by parliament and you had to wait for them to get back with you it's not like you can get on the radio or on the internet and send an email right you literally had to send messages on ships across the atlantic it would take months to get there right and then months if to get they back got there yeah exactly so it was really frustrating because they could not manage their own taxes and they couldn't just willy-nilly spend the money as they saw fit. You know, there was some leeway where they were like, oh, obviously, you can spend on these things without constantly checking in on us. But any major pro- project expansion, whatever, any major problems had to go to parliament. And there was no representation there. It was subject to the crown and whatever parliament decided. During that time and then after they started to invest in some of their infrastructure and capital projects, what was the 
the industry profile like in North Carolina? How did it evolve and change? So originally in the colonies, the the major industry was a lot of woodwork. Um, we were big with the shipping industry for the, for the crown. As a matter of fact, most of the British ships that came back and forth from the colonies to Great Britain were Tar Heels. Yeah, exactly. That's where the name comes from, right? They were manufactured here. The timbers came from North Carolina, mainly ports like Wilmington. Um, and then we also made a lot of tar. That's one of the theories of to where the name came from, the Tar Heels. And the tar is what keeps the wood ships waterproof, keeps them from sinking. And there's all sorts of other, you know, building projects that tar was used for. And then obviously agriculture. Agriculture was always big here. Um, for the longest time, it was cotton. You know, you heard the phrase king cotton. Um, it's what essentially kept uh, the North Carolina colony in business up until tobacco took over, which, you know, in this time frame in the 1800s is getting, you know, basically starting to happen as tobacco becomes a big thing on the on the, the American scale and the, and the global scale and the European scale. And that's a plug for uh, the Golden Leaf Foundation. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that ties into that, that yeah. heritage of the it, Golden it is, Leaf. I was just thinking, I mean, yeah. it, it's still a big business today, you know, much huge. less... So percentage wise of the economy, sure. uh, because obviously that changed over time, but, uh, it is interesting to link, you know, the agricultural roots of North Carolina. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, we did an interview with Scott Hamilton, yeah. CEO of, uh, oh, yeah. the Golden Leaf Foundation, who now manages all of that, right. uh, the, the lawsuit settlement funds and reinvest it back into yeah, the, they get a the certain, economy. They get a certain percentage of all of the global sales, I believe, That's right. which, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Tobacco use in America has obviously dwindled compared to what it was, say, in the 80s and 90s and whatnot. But it's still a big global market. Exactly. Wise. There's huge, huge global markets. Yeah. There's other developing countries that are kind of where we were at you know, well, 30 or 40 years ago. I have there. a friend who is a tobacco farmer. I'm not going to say his name, but he always likes to say that he said he ships all his tobacco to China because they smoke it like a choo-choo train. Yeah. And you know what? That it's, <laughs> it's very similar to the way it was here. Like I said, right. they're, they're developing, you know, economically speaking, they're, they're catching up to where we were a few years ago. Right. And I don't see that changing anytime soon because there's going to be other developing nations that then kind of come on the stage and they all go through these same phases, you know, as, as, a, mm-hmm. as the middle class begins to grow, there's certain things they want, certain Consumer devices. items. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Tobacco is going to always going to be one of those things. Plus, there's scientific uh, developments coming from nicotine research, you know, that have nothing to do with smoking. So, that's always going to be a thing. But just to be right. able to see something like Golden Leaf take that heritage that's been here for so long and, and repurpose it and, and repurpose it for something it. really good yeah, for our yeah. area. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that it's right here in Rocky Mount, you know, speaks volumes to, you know, how that had an impact here in uh, Nash County. Um, but also, one of the big things that came out of this era of North Carolina as they finally start, started to decide to develop things is UNC, University of North Carolina, first public state university. 1792? That I sounds right. Wow. I, 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 sw- I swear it would be. It would be is, I think that's the date. I'm going to look it up. But anyways. It would yeah. be older than Tennessee as a state. <laughs> Which think would, be, would be fair. I, I think that's, you know, and listen, I went to NC State, so I have my opinions about UNC, but as a historian, I got to give them respect. All I know is that anyone who went to UNC is like really dumb. <laughs> that's what I've heard. Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. I forgot Ben went to 1789. Oh, there you go. Wow. That's crazy. They're not as old as Nash County, but they try. I knew it was older than most people think. You know, that's the thing. Nash County is older than Nash County. Because it was... It was either the first state college built or chartered. I'd ever remember the difference because I think Georgia also wow. was one of the first to start a state college. But UNC, I think, was the first 
chartered maybe i can't remember we, it was it, uh william richardson davy yeah. wrote the act established the university in 89 um who was the first student does it say <clears throat> students apparently arrived in 95 oh. unc became the only public university to award degrees in the 18th century okay there you go I mean, yeah. I think, you know, you've got like Harvard and some of those other ones that are like 1600. Sure, yeah, sure. Princeton, that type of stuff. But, but what, you, what you have... They're private institutions. What you, what you have at the end of the um, the Rip Van Winkle era is the, the state finally starts to really invest in UNC. They see its value in training people to give them an education, not just, you know, because... Yeah, hey, I want to... Is I, UNC I really an education? Well, uh, you know, that's debatable. Go off back. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Two on one here. I'm not going to get into this here. <laughs> but uh, but they try. You know, we get yeah. the point. We get what the history is supposed to be like right, and right. stuff. I but you. so the, the state starts to finally invest in UNC and really give them the resources that need to train the future, you know, the future workers of North Carolina. Um, and then other colleges um, and academies pop up. Um, they actually start to invest in religious agencies. Uh, we begin the construction of a state network of railroads and plank roads and plank roads are essentially what they sound like. They, you know, they were the gap between, uh, dirt roads and paved roads. We literally had planks of wood lined up for carriages to run on. So you, you didn't break a carriage wheel every time you went down a really bad dirt road with potholes and whatnot. Uh Um, it sounds trivial, but that changed a lot. People, especially when it came to business, people were able to travel more for business. Um, let's see what else they have here. Oh, yeah, they f- have one of the first institutions to care for the blind and deaf. Um, they began to focus on mental health institutions. Um, the tax system was reformed. Uh, we began to enhance agriculture and manufacturing conditions, and all of those finally contributed to North Carolina catching up with everyone else. Um, and, again, a lot of the things sound trivial, but people don't realize that those are the things that drive business, and, dr- and business is what gives people jobs, brings money into your particular town or area, and if you know the resources are spent wisely, improves the entire state. And that's where North Carolina had been lacking for 20 years. To, I would argue longer. The Red Band Weekle era is just a specific time that we, you know, it was recognized. People kind of woke up and realized, hey, we're struggling here. But it really had been lagging since the end of the Revolutionary War. And so after, you know, that that wraps up, they start investing in, you know, infrastructure and capital improvements. Um, North Carolina was a cotton state, was a tobacco yeah, Textile, textile. Textile, You okay. have to also remember, and this ties us into Rocky Mount, uh, cotton mills. Now, the... Rocky Mount Mills, it was the second textile mill in the state, but it ended up being the longest running one because the original one, uh, the Schink Warlick Mill in Lincoln County, ended up, uh, it got burnt down at least once. Yeah, there was a fire in 1863, and I don't think it was ever restored. So then the Rocky Mount Mills became the longest running textile mill. Wow. Because they didn't close till 96, I think. Yeah, 96. So. I think so, yeah. Because so. NAFTA hit in like 93. That's right. And, and then shortly thereafter, that, that was right. it. Because I remember as a kid when it was open. You know, I was born in 85. So I still remember, you know, driving down Falls Road and whatnot. And there's a mill. And then a few years later, it was just fenced in and abandoned. Right. You know? So I grew up knowing that, you know, at one point, you know, I had I had grandparents and great-grandparents and relatives that worked there at some point. So, um, but textiles were really a big thing for the state of North Carolina leading up to and through the Civil War. Uh, agriculture obviously was, but, you know, the cotton industry and the textile industry were you know, intimately tied. You couldn't have one without the other. You had to have a textile mill to sell most of your cotton to, and the mills needed, you know, cotton farmers. So, that's why it was, you know, cotton was king for the longest time in the state of North Carolina. It's what drove the economic engine for pretty much the entire state. It also started to drive 
more disparity between the eastern part of North Carolina and western. It's always kind of been an issue. The eastern part of North yeah, Carolina. How, how so? Well, eastern North Carolina has always had the focus because that's where colonization started, right? We literally started on the coast and we're slowly worked our way east. And then mm-hmm. once we got to about central North Carolina where, you know, Raleigh and Durham are, we we didn't stop moving westward, but all the development started mainly because, think about it, mountainous region. Very difficult back then to really build anything or change the landscape before you know, our, our current technology. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, you have all the every, – everything was already here in the east when it comes to economic development, technological development, seat of government. So, you always had that bias of essentially everything Raleigh and east was essentially North Carolina. Was Raleigh the capital back then? No, well, yeah. At that point, Raleigh had become the capital. We started – we had – What you think Nashville was the capital? It would have been cool. No. It would have been awesome. Things would have worked out. out a whole lot different. Raleigh so is the capital. So, during most of the, the major colonial time <laughs> leading up to the revolution, it was New Bern. You know, New Bern was oh, that's the, right. Yeah, because the governor's the, the governor's, governor's mansion, mansion is still there. Right? Tri- yeah, yeah. mansion. That's Remember? right. Governor Tryon. That place yeah. is sweet. And by the way, that was one of the reasons also why the regulators got really upset was Tryon had taken a lot of tax money and built his own palace. Ah, uh, yes, that's why it was it's, a big it's issue. A, it's it nice. is a palace. It's a palace. Yeah. I mean, even it's a even back palace. then, it was massive, and today it still is a good size yeah. home. But yeah, so that's yes, my, that's my other house. I usually go to in the weekends. Nice. I wish. Uh, but no, so, you know, Raleigh became capital because it was central to the state. And it really sure. is when you look at the state. It really yeah, is yeah. central even from east to west. But most of the people who settled in western North Carolina were Scots-Irish because the Appalachian Mountains reminded them of their homeland. You know, it looked both like the, the Irish hills and the mountains and the Scottish highlands. And technically, they're part of the same uh, mountain range. If you look at an old map of before the continental drift, Appalachian Mountains, the Irish uh, hills, and the Scottish Highlands are all the same mountain range. So when the Scots-Irish immigrated, they saw this place and were like, this is just like home. And so instead of going from east, north, eastern North Carolina, migrating through central and to the west, they bypassed it. They came down through Virginia or right to the mountains. So they bypassed a lot of what was happening in the east. And they lived in relative peace, but then once things started to become more modernized in North Carolina, um, they... They felt that they were being ignored, and they were. But at the same time, there wasn't much that we could do, technologically speaking, to help get them involved. Yeah. But as agricultural developed, you know, it's really hard to grow cotton in the mountains. You know, there's some parts of mountains you can grow tobacco. Just plant some plant some cotton trees. Yeah, yeah, because that's how it works, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um. But so anyway, so you have this economic engine of the cotton, you know, growers in the mills, um, really pushing development in eastern North Carolina, and the West was starting to feel left behind it actually plays a role in the civil war which we're getting ready to talk about here now yeah let's get into it all right so anything else you want to add before we get to the civil war just that while there may not have been a lot of major battles in north carolina in the sense that it didn't necessarily sway the outcome or lean towards it north carolina did play a major role in the civil war and there's some things i'm getting ready to tell you that most people don't even know like I'll mention this, you guys know ironclad ships, right? That were a big thing in the Civil War, Merrimack, and the um, yeah, obviously I do. One. But if you wanted to say more about it, <laughs> yeah, like, okay, fine. sure, yeah, <laughs> I know. But I mean, like I'm obviously the expert, so but I think it would just be helpful. The mon- so you be helpful to enlighten the audience, okay. other than myself. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's what you're talking. We'll about. explain that in a minute for the sake of the audience, because I already know you know it all, Turner. So yeah, well, obviously. Yeah. So you've, you've heard of the Monitor and Merrimack battle, the two, the, the Union and the Confederate um, ironclads, essentially the first warships that were covered in metal armor. Okay. And they floated just above the waterline. I mean, they, they barely floated, but it was a huge advancement in naval warfare. Um, North Carolina played a big role in that. and It rarely gets talked about 
Tarbo had a role in that, which we'll get to that in just a second. Um, and it also had is also one of the reasons why uh, the union through Sherman wanted to come through North Carolina so quickly and get to our area. Whereas you remember, you've heard Sherman's March to the Sea, where he pretty much burned everything to the ground until he got to the Savannah, and then he didn't because they we want, they wanted to maintain that port city. But then when he came through North Carolina, he was a lot more lenient. There's a reason for that. But anyway, I'm jumping the gun. That's why I have notes to keep me on track. So. One of the main things for North Carolina was before any real battles happened here is we contributed over uh, 130,000 troops in all branches of the Confederate Army and 8,000 soldiers to the Union. So if you pretty much threw a rock into the Union forces, you were going to hit probably at least one North Carolina soldier. So the first thing we did was we supplied a lot of soldiers to the war effort. To both sides. Obviously, we were part of the Confederacy, but we also had people who who willingly fought for the Union. And, And the reason for that is... Uh, and this plays into Sherman's decision, how he treated North Carolina later towards the end of the war, is North Carolina struggled with the idea of secession. If you look, we were essentially the last state to leave. You know, Tennessee, it's a little complicated with the dates because they voted to leave, and then the time when they actually left was different. Well, they were just really young. It was hard for them to That's make a right. decision. They were, just getting, they were just learning how to crawl. We're so, old and wise, you know, yeah, and we right. really we, waited. We've been around for a while, and we had seen some stuff from the yeah. Revolutionary War. And Tennessee so like, was like, on. what? Right. I don't know, man. But... uh but we really struggle with the idea. So, you know, today we always talk about up until recently, at least, you know, North Carolina has been a purple state. You know, we have a good blend of, of you know, Democrat and Republican politicians. Who, yes, views, sure. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we've, we've, we've had our fair share of issues where we're kind of, right. you know, when I studied politics at state, uh, one of my professors, he was British. And so it was really cool to get his perspective on American politics. And he said North Carolina is one of the more confusing states for researchers because you couldn't really predict. Like, well, yeah, a southern state, they're going to go hard conservative on this issue. And they were more moderate. Or when you thought, okay, they might actually pull left on this because they're controlled by Democrats. You know, had been for decades. Nope. Conservative right wing, you know, idea that they adopted or a law they passed. So that's why we were considered a purple state. What kind of goes all the way back to the outbreak of the Civil War. Because when it came time to vote on whether we should secede from the Union, North Carolina actually struggled with that idea. They didn't know if it was a wise thing to do. They, they figured maybe we should stay in the Union and kind of, you know, debate what's going on here. And, you know, we finally did, but it was a lot of back and forth in the General Assembly. And Sherman remembers that. And that's important because we know how he felt. He was, he was a Union man. But we know how he felt about some of the broader issues of the Civil War through his letters to his wife and to some of his colleagues. And um, anyway, so we're working our way there. Um, one of the issues that pushed North Carolina to eventually secede was um, inflation, something we're all familiar with today. Sure. So as the war broke out, it was getting incredibly difficult for families to even buy bread because of the inflation. So we actually had bread riots in North Carolina. So there was actually um, women who were politically engaged uh basically started rioting because they couldn't afford bread for their families. And so you add that social, you know, disruption on top of the political stuff going on in the background. So North Carolina becomes a hotbed of things are going to get really bad if we don't make a decision here about what we're going to do to this war. Mm-hmm. Um, so North Carolina obviously secedes from the union. We, we, we fight in the civil war. And, um, then on July 20th, 1863, uh, Union Cavalry under the command of General Edward Potter and Major Ferris Jacobs Jr. rode into Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And the reason they rode into Rocky Mount was the cotton mill. 
we were supplying a lot of textiles to the Confederate soldiers, not just uniforms or whatnot, but, you know, textiles were using all sorts of things. You need tourniquets for injured troops, you know, soldiers. Mm-hmm. You need a tents manufactured to house the troops while they're out in the field, all sorts of things. So the Union decides we've got to hit North Carolina. We've got to hit them hard. We've got to cut off some of the supplies that are going to the rest of the Confederacy. And because we're one state below Virginia, you know, this would have been a big blow to the Confederacy in general. So they go, the, the, the original intent was to destroy the railroad bridge in Rocky Mount um, because that's how we sent all of our supplies out, right? They left the cotton mill and the other places of industry. We put them on trains and sent them out to all the different ports and whatnot and, you know, all the different depots that the Confederacy could pick up their supplies. Um, they, they burnt the bridge down, but then they got so excited, they went ahead and pretty much started burning down the rest of the town, <laughs> including the Rocky Mountain Mills. Um, because people hear of Rocky Mountain Mills as a cotton mill. It's not entirely true. It was, it was a yarn mill. They took the cotton and turned it into yarn. So yarn could, that could so be could used mill, to make... Middle step. Yeah, exactly. They, they went ahead and processed the cotton and yarn so that you can send it anywhere and anyone who knew how to run... run. Well, um, there was actually just a lot of cats at the time and they were right, sending all the cats. Yeah. We, got yeah. to, we had to keep them happy or the war would have... Who just got away way out of hand. All those moms would have just got <laughs> all crazy. All cats. Right. But no, so if you had already produced yarn, you can send it anywhere in a town that could weave or put the yarn together and make whatever you needed to, to make. So they burned the, um, they burned the Rocky Mount Mills down. Um, and in Jacob's own words... Uh, the destruction of property was large and complete. And then there was a battle to try to stop the Union soldiers from burning down Rocky Mount. And it was located at what is now Battle Park. It's the name. Because everybody's always asked me, well, what was the oh, battle? Wow. You know, or is it named after the Battle Family? Because there's a Battle Family that was prominent Rocky it was really, Mount. Yeah, really involved in the mills. Right, exactly. And that's why <laughs> there, it's called Battle Park. Because there was, there was a contingency of Confederate soldiers who were trying to stop the Union soldiers from burning down the mill. They were unsuccessful. Um, but like we mentioned earlier, Rocky Mount Mills was the second mill in North Carolina. It was founded in either 1816 or 1818. I've seen both dates. Never been able to confirm which one. Likely 1816 is when it was incorporated. 1818 is when construction was finished. And it's two years. But it was still um, the second one because the first one, the Schenck Warlick Mill, uh, was built in 1814. But like I said earlier, that ended up, I think, I know it was burnt down at least twice. And I think the second time is when it was never rebuilt or it was limited capacity. So then, you know, the Rocky Mountain Mills became the main mill, the cotton mill, the, the yard mill for, for North Carolina, especially here in the, the east when it closed in 96. Um, the raid on Rocky Mountain was really important because it was a classic example of a supply run. You know, if you ever talk about like logistics and, you know, military organization, um, if you're – but also speaks to the fact that, you know, when we teach – uh, the, the history of the Civil War, we, we tend to think Union came out, busted up the Confederacy and won, and that's the end of it. There for a while, it was, it was close. The Confederacy won some of the earliest battles in the war, and you run a supply run against your target when you don't think you can win on the battlefield. In, in other words, the Union was worried about the long-term, their long-term ability to to fight off the Confederacy. So they, they argued we need to start hitting their supplies because mm-hmm. one of the weak points of the Confederacy was we didn't have the the manufacturing industry that the North did. Yeah, we weren't as, yeah. We weren't as advanced as they were when it came to factories and whatnot. And we, we had a lot of uh, natural resources, but not the manufacturing exactly. capability. So we were going to run out of 
stuff guns bullets, before they know, were anything that had to be manufactured <laughs> we were going to eventually run out because nobody in the north was going to sell it to us we were trying to run um we were trying to send delegates overseas to europe and we did succeed there's one young lady i can't remember her name um paula paula no, no. uh she uh she went I was to <laughs> no she might be old enough though i'm not sure maybe uh, we might have to edit that out <laughs> Anyway, uh, no, we actually sent some spies to uh, France and uh, one of them, she she went and got approval from France and some other European delegates who wanted to support the Confederacy. But on her return back, she drowned trying to get to the North Carolina coast um, and then back up to D.C. Did you try um, to swim that far? No. So they were trying, you know, we were blockaded at the time. Right. So they were trying to run the blockade. The ship ran aground and she oh, freaked geez. out thinking the Confederates are going to come and I mean, the Union are going to come and arrest me and, and execute me. So she hops in a dinghy to get away and doesn't make it because the surf was really bad that day. And um, she had her, her uh, and I have this on my website, WilliamDenton.com. Um, I wrote a blog post about this. Um, she uh, lined her pockets with gold. She was afraid that someone was stealing uh-huh. on, the, you know, on the travel there and that weighed her down and she couldn't swim and she drowned. I feel like I've seen that in a movie somewhere. Yeah, it might, maybe. I don't know. Well, I'll say, I'll say this. Yeah. That's a very good ending spot for today. Don't swim with gold. That's the thing. Well, and, sure. I would hope that'd be common sense, <laughs> but I don't know anymore. But I think we can pick back up with the Civil War next time. Is that good with you guys? Let's, uh, so what year are we in? We are in 18, the, the 1861 to 63. We're coming up to the, the climax of the Civil War and the, and the ending. Oh, yeah. Leave them wanting. Yeah, we got to leave them wanting. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? Like, if you guys want to hear the rest of it, you got to Well, come like I mentioned, time. we're coming up on the part where Sherman's about to come through North Carolina. You know, he's, he's basically like, I'm putting an end to this war. And he did. Richard Sherman from the... William T. Sherman. Oh, that's, that's close. You know. uh, William Tecumseh Sherman. Uh, the guy who essentially created uh, the... Um, Oh, what's the tactical term where you basically burn everything to the ground? Anarchy. Scorched earth. Scorched earth. Thank you. Scor- I'm not, I've never been a military guy. Scorched earth. He really essentially solidified that. But then he comes to North Carolina and suddenly, other than Fayetteville, he, he goes easy on the state. And there's a reason why he burned Fayetteville and destroyed it. Ooh. But we're not going to. No, we'll find we'll that out next today. time. Yeah. And then there's a reason why we had a uh, the Union just try to destroy Tarboro and burn some stuff down on the Tar River, too, that we'll hand out later. So, <clears throat> North Carolina goes through a bit of a slow point yeah. in the Rip Van Winkle years. That's right. Um, builds back its, uh, the Build Back Better plan. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <Build back> <laughs> uh, Invests in some infrastructure and uh, really starts to, you know, kind of hum along, you know, pun intended, uh-huh. in the textile industry. That's right. Uh, big Plays a big part in the Civil War. Yep. We're about halfway through there. Yep. Now we're going to get to some of the strategic stuff in part three. Of how the state recovered from all that. What that's happened to North Carolina after. Cause that's it right. Because, yeah, so reconstruction is something that really doesn't get taught all that much either. We, we, we touch on it, the basic tenets of the war's over, the Union won. Um, they're willing to work with the southern states in the sense that they're going to control how the southern states rebuild. Um, and so the, the North end up having a big influence on the Southern states, including North Carolina. Mm-hmm. But at that point, that's really where North Carolina starts to break away and start to really advance and become one of the most popular states in the South in, in, in terms of business and education. And then what's big for us now and has been for the past few decades, research. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was, a, you know, the Civil War was obviously a horrible time. Reconstruction was difficult. There's some bad things that happened in Reconstruction too, but it ended up 
North Carolina ended up being better off later mm-hmm. on up until, you know, where we are now. And it played a big role of how, you know, what, how it shaped North Carolina right. and what it is today. Well, we'll pick back up on that next time. And Part three coming up soon. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on the TC Spotlight.